This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. We're telling you this so you can make your own independent evaluation of these opportunities. And now, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Trey Wasser, the president and CEO of Ely Gold Royalties, trading as ELY on the TSX Venture Exchange and ELYGF in the U.S. Ely Gold Royalties is a Nevada-focused junior gold royalty company with its current portfolio including royalties on the Jarrett Canyon, Gold Strike, and Marigold Mines in Nevada, as well as the Fenelon property in Quebec, operated by Wallbridge Mining. Ely Gold continues to seek opportunities to purchase producing or near-term producing royalties. The company is also generating development royalties through property sales on projects that are located at or near producing mines. Management believes that due to the company's ability to locate and purchase third-party royalties and its strategy of organically creating royalties along with its gold focus, Ely Gold offers shareholders a favorable leverage to gold prices and low-cost access to long-term gold royalties. Again, Ely Gold is growing their asset base through through their successful royalty generating program and by acquiring existing royalties. Trey, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on the air today. Thanks, Ellis. Glad to be on again. I've noticed from your presentation that basically you have adjusted the way that you are presenting Ely Gold. You've got a lot going on. Let's talk about the changes you've made and what's coming in the future. We have taken a different way of looking at our assets. We've been so aggressive in acquiring, producing royalties and really emerging as a real player in, in the royalty market that we really wanted to make it easier for shareholders to understand the moving parts that we have because we have, of course, these purchased royalties as well as our royalty generation program where we are generating royalties through property sales. We have split the assets into three major groups, regardless of whether these are properties that are under option or royalties. We group them more in what we feel their prospect is to become a producing royalty. We have what we call 11 key assets. These are all royalties that we have purchased, nine of them that we have purchased in the last 12 to 14 months. Three of them are in production. The other eight are scheduled to be in production by 2023. These are projects that we can actually start to project cash flow on. Because of that, the analysts can generate net asset value on them, which is how the royalty companies are ultimately valued. Of the 11, nine are on properties that are already producing mine. While our claims within there may not be producing quite yet, they are scheduled for production and we're not at risk for the mine to have to be built. The mine is already built. They're being operated by some of the largest, best operators in the gold mining business. They're on some of the largest gold mines in Nevada. Just very, very high quality assets. And then the last two are projects that are scheduled either in the permitting process or at the PEA level for mine construction. The second group we have is what we call our development assets, and we have 21 of those. To be a development asset in our portfolio, it has to be a property that is at or near a producing mine, or at least a mine that is in the permitting process for mine construction. So in other words, while some of these properties may be smaller, groups of claims. We think there's a few that 
will ultimately be standalone mines on their own as they are explored and developed. What they all have in common is that they're near enough to a producing mine that they don't have to become a standalone mine on their own. We have a lot of assets that will just extend the mine life of these existing mines. So therefore, this is a portfolio of 21 projects that we feel all have very good chance of becoming producing royalties. We just can't say when they'll be in production or how much, but very good chance that they will become producing. We then have 33 assets that we qualify as our exploration assets. Eight of these are currently being drilled by exploration or development companies. They again represent some high quality portion of the portfolio as far as properties, but they are further out from being a producing asset. And then, of course, we are always carrying inventory right now. It's around 32, 33 projects that are available for sale in a royalty generation program. So when you add it all up, it's about 100 properties and projects, which makes us today one of the largest property owners in Nevada, not necessarily by number of claims, but by number of projects. You are a major force in Nevada, but I've noticed as of a couple of days ago, you have picked up an interest in the Borden Lake Royalty in Ontario, Canada. Borden Lake is our second Canadian asset. Our first asset being the Fenelon property operated by Wallbridge, which has turned out to be a very exciting project and one of our key assets today. And then Borden Lake is a royalty on some claims at the Borden Lake mine, which is currently being operated by Newmont. This royalty does not cover the underground portion today. We think that could change, but the open pit portion is about two and a half million ounces that have been identified in measured and indicated category. We think that in the future, we will see the open pit pit mine there as well. Currently, there's not a mill at Borden Lake. They're hauling the underground ore to their porcupine mill. And so Borden Lake will fall into our development asset category in that it's a property with significant resources on it that is at or near a producing mine, but isn't really scheduled this time for production like the key assets would. So with over 100 properties, you, sir, are very, very busy. I know that for a fact. And I believe that your business model, the success of it is really reflected in your share price, which as far as I can tell, has almost doubled since we began covering your company on the back of a recent brokered private placement that you just closed over a week ago. A lot of success in a market that's been tenuous really been lucky to some degree with our relationships and knowledge of Nevada. We have closed these key assets since the first of the year in the key asset category would be the Jarrett Canyon, which is a currently producing royalty that'll generate for us about one and a half million dollars this year in revenue and grow next year to over 2.2 million. We also have closed the Marigold and Wren properties, Marigold being a producing mine operated by S our mining and the claims that we acquired will be in production by 2022, falling into their current mine plan. And the Wren property, which is another tremendous asset we picked up. It's at the Gold Strike Mine, operated by the Barrick Newmont JV Nevada Gold Mines. And the Wren is an extension of the underground mine at Gold Strike. It has about 2 million ounces on it now that have been outlined, but with the potential for much, much more. Gold Strike Ellis has produced over 45 
5 million ounces. Over 12 million ounces of that have come from the underground. They're currently developing the underground portion of Wren as they're running out of ore at Gold Strike. We're very, very excited about that one. And not only do we pick up a 1.5% NSR there, but we also picked up a net profit interest of 3.5%. So it's been on the back of these acquisitions that we think the markets really stood up and started to take notice that Ely Gold Royalties is a real player in the North American gold royalty space. In recognizing us, I think the market is paying a lot of attention not only to our assets, but the fact that we're focused in Nevada, the number one mining jurisdiction in the world, with a secondary focus on Canada. So we're in very safe jurisdictions, and we're 100% gold focused. So people looking for the gold exposure in a pure North American gold royalty company, we are fitting the bill for investors looking for a new opportunity. What have you targeted the recent brokered private placement of $17,250,000 Canadian dollars for? More acquisitions? That offering, just to give you a bit of background on it, we went out for $10 million in the brokered private placement. We had such a good response to it that we had to increase it to $15 million. And then with the over allotment, we ended up doing $17.25 million. What we did is we paid down our line of credit that we used to make the Marigold and Wren purchases, and we still have $13 million in cash. So that is targeted for more royalty purchases. Of course, the Borden Lake would be the first one, but we're working on several more. And I think we'll have not only the $13 million, but the line of credit is still available if we see something larger or more transactions. Very exciting there. I mean, we've had a tremendous response in the marketplace since the offering. That Private placement was priced at $0.80 cents with a $1 warrant, it was closed a week ago, and the stock currently trading at $1.50. Not only has the stock almost doubled from the offering price, the $1 warrants are well in the money and getting close to the $1.60 price where we can accelerate those warrants and raise even more capital for royalty purchases. Well, Trey, that's quite a lot going on in the last few months when everyone is hunkered down. You've done extremely well, I would say, for any quarter in any year. I really appreciate you joining me again today on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alice. It's been a pleasure. I've been speaking with Trey Wasser, the president and CEO of Illegal Royalties, trading as ELY on the TSX Venture Exchange and ELYGF in the United States on the OTCQX. Go to the company's website to learn more. Illegoldinc.com and subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's free by logging on to ellis.gold. I'm Ellis Martin. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Grant Ewing, CEO of Rock Ridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. And in the U.S. on the OTC as RRRLF. Rock Ridge Resources is a new public mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, and development of mineral resource properties in Canada. 
Grant, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on there with us today. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. You have just released your final assay results, and now you're planning your next phase of exploration and drilling for the Rainy Gold Project southwest of Timmins, Ontario. Let's talk about that, Grant. Yeah, certainly. So today we just announced the final results from three holes out of a recent nine-hole program we completed at the Rainy Gold Project. This project hadn't been looked at in over 10 years, so this is the first program in well over a decade. And we are following up on a high-grade gold intercept that was drilled back in roughly 2010. So of the nine holes we drilled, eight intercepted mineralized zones, some over broad intervals. The highlight intercept was 28 gram per ton over six meters, and that was announced in hole six. And this gold system, it's just been weekly tested thus far with drilling. And we see the gold uneven in distribution in this system, so you can have some areas of low grade next to areas of higher grade. So there's lots more work to do here to really fully assess this broad structural corridor that hosts the mineralization. Well, what have you learned about the nature of the mineralization, and what are your next steps going to be this year? When we went into this project, the previous operators that interpreted gold-bearing quartz veins deeply dipping to the north, so all the drilling was from north to south to try to hit this structure perpendicular. And we assessed all of the data and determined that this mineralized system has more of a steep dip and perhaps more of a south dip in certain areas. So we drilled it from south to north. This is the first approach to that sort of analysis of the system. And what we've come up with now is a broad structural corridor we think hosts the mineralization. We did orientated core with our recent drilling, and that was the first time that had been done. So we've got the trend identified of this broad corridor and the drilling to date has just occurred over a very small section of this corridor, about 250 meters. And if we trace that corridor to the west on our property, about two kilometers west, we intercept this area that's got some old historic surface mapping data showing quartz veins, disseminated sulfides. And this lines up very nicely with this structural corridor. In addition, that area has a break in the historic geophysical mag signature. So a very compelling target area we think we've identified about two kilometers to the west of our current drilling and where all the historic drilling occurred. In addition, this corridor between those areas is very prospective, we think, further discovery. So based on the results of this first small program, we've now outlined the next phase of exploration. We'll look at two phases here. The first phase will be summer program to really explore this structural corridor for prospecting, sampling, and some more geophysical surveys. And this will then refine drilling targets that we'd propose to do later summer and perhaps into the fall and beyond, about 5,000 meters we could do in the next program for roughly 900000 Canadian dollars. Are you well cashed up to proceed with that? The first phase is finance, so we're well set up to go through that phase. And then coming out of that, we anticipate having high priority targets and we'd look to finance the next leg of exploration for this very prospective gold project. For those that are listening to this segment and learning about Rockridge for the first time, let's discuss the share structure of the company. So we've got approximately 34 million shares outstanding, so very small as well, take capital structure, and our capitalization today is roughly $4.5 million Canadian. So we think great opportunity for creating shareholder value as we go along and assess this high-grade gold project further. In addition, Rockridge has a second asset, copper project in Saskatchewan, remobilized BMS system, and that'll be assessed in the coming months as well. So we've got exposure to a great copper exploration story as well as a gold exploration story. And you're trading at about $0.11 cents today as of this broadcast. Grant, thank you so much for the update. I look forward to more news as it rolls out during the course of the summer and the fall. Yeah, thank you, Ellis. Bye for now.
I've been speaking with Brant Ewing, CEO of Rockridge Resources, trading as ROCK on the TSX Venture Exchange. And in the U.S. on the OTC as RRRLF. For more information on Rockridge Resources, go to the company's website, rockridgeresourcesltd.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. I'm Ellis Martin. Tim Tremonde is the CEO and President of Tega Gold Corp, trading as TGC on the Canadian Securities Exchange and TGGDF on the OTC in the U.S. Tega Gold Corp is a mineral exploration company focusing on gold in eastern Saskatchewan, Canada. The company's flagship project is the Fisher property, located adjacent to SSR Mining CB Gold Operation property and approximately 1.5 kilometers from the Santoy Mine itself. The Fisher property is bisected by the Santoy Shear Zone along its entire length, approximately 18 kilometers, and the nearby Santoy Mine is currently producing high-grade gold from this structure. The Fisher property is under option to SSR Mining, where they are undertaking significant exploration, including drilling, with the intent of locating gold deposits for development into potential reserves. Tim, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Ellis. Always a pleasure. You've executed an interesting option agreement in Saskatchewan. Tell us all about it. Yeah, Tiger Gold has five projects in and around the CB gold operation area. One of them, our our flagship property has been optioned to SSR Mining. We put out pretty significant news a week or so ago on that, and people are starting to notice now Taiga and the Fisher property. In the shadow of that property, again, are four other properties that are associated with the geology at CB or close to it. And we've just decided corporately to bring on others for a couple of these projects to help carry the load both financially and from a marketing perspective. We're pretty particular about who we would want to partner with, and we've been talking to the SKRR group for some time now, both with Tiger and with our parent company, Eagle Plains. And we're just quite, quite impressed with SKRR in general. To start with, it's run by a very seasoned exploration team. Ron Nedelitsky is on the advisory board and a key shareholder. And Ross McElroy as well is the chairman of the company. Ron Nedelitsky, I've known for 40 years, kind of my mentor over the years. He was inducted into the Mining Hall of Fame a couple of years ago for his work over the years. He's found many deposits. He's been very active early in his career in Saskatchewan. So he knows a lot of the areas that we're actually working now. He was working on 40 years ago, that sort of thing. And also Ross McElroy, he won the Bill Dennis Award for exploration success back in 2014. He was a key part of the team that discovered the Patterson Lake South uranium deposit in eastern Saskatchewan. So finally, Sherman Dahl is actually heading up that company as well. And he's a very, very effective marketing individual. So the company is very strong on a number of fronts. It's only got 20 million shares out. And we, as part of our deal, if it goes to fruition, will receive up to a million and a half shares in SKRR. SKRR trades right now at at roughly 40 cents a share. So it's a solid company and for us, a solid move for us to get involved with them. So really, they're going to shine a light Essentially, even though they're just involved with this one particular project, they'll be shining a light on the entire company. Absolutely. They've got another gold project south of there, the Olson property, with an option with Eagle Plains. The particulars of this deal is they can earn 51% by spending a million and a half dollars on the property, giving us 500000 cash 
and a million shares. They can bump their percentage to 75% by giving us another 500,000 shares and spending another million and a half on the properties. It's a solid deal. They've got money in the bank right now. Financing isn't an issue. We've also negotiated that our group, TerraLogic, will be involved in the exploration. TerraLogic has done the work in the area in the past. It's a subsidiary of Eagle Plains. So we've got all the data on the property. We've got knowledge and expertise of the area and the property and the players. So we will be carrying out the actual exploration work. Last last summer, Tyga funded a program on this property, on the Leland property, and we're on the ground for a couple of weeks and actually had a very successful program there. We found five new gold mineralized occurrence and found a couple of sub-economic but seriously significant gold samples along the way. Historically, there have been a lot of pretty splashy numbers off that property, up to 53 grams per ton or 60 grams per ton in another area as grab samples. So, you know, there is gold. There is gold in the area. We're in elephant country. The property is oriented east-west as opposed to the structures that they're exploring on Fisher, which is a north-south structure, the tavern structure. And significantly, the CB mine, the CB deposits, was located along an east-west structure, whereas the Santoy deposit is north-south. So two different structural orientations that are significant in that area. And the Leland property basically covers one of these east-west structures. It appears to be located in a favorable geology that's similar to what is being mined at CB. So it's another shot at CB-type deposit with a good partner, well-financed, I think a very strong exploration team. So it looks to me to be a very good match. It's interesting the types of joint ventures you can do with Tega. I guess you have a lot of that experience having had Eagle Plains for, I guess, 28 years. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer in the prospect generator model and particularly farming out properties or bringing in partners. I mean, yes, there is a downside that you can lose 100% control, but we found over the years that you don't need 100% to reward your shareholders. A great example of that was Copper Canyon years ago with Eagle Plains. Our partners on that, Nova Gold, had ended up earning a 60% interest, but they took over the company. They took over Copper Canyon Resources in order to get that last 40% interest. And in the end, they ended up paying our shareholders $65 million for that 40% interest. Along the way, there was no risk. We spent a very small amount of money to acquire the property and since and after that spent zero money exploring it. So it's a trade-off. It's a risk-reward thing. We're trading off part ownership in the property for the risk of exploration. And in the meantime, win or lose, they're making cash payments and giving us shares along the way. So, you know, obviously we're very hopeful that they're successful and find something significant there. But just the fact that that risk has been sort of removed from us gives us an opportunity to focus on other projects we have as well and inject our own finances and marketing into the other projects. This thing sort of goes on autopilot for a little while for us, which we're happy to see. Speaking of other projects, what can you legally talk about what's happening down the road? Well, we expect SSR to do a lot more work on the Fisher property. They did hit a hiccup this year with the COVID-19, like a lot of us in the world did. And they shut their program down early this year, their winter drilling. But they're hopeful they can get back on the property this year. They've got funds set aside for it. They've got great drill targets that they want to get to. It's a question of restrictions right now that are in place in Saskatchewan that I think are slowly being lifted. And I think, you know, I'm confident they will get on the ground there aggressively. We've also got our 100% owned Orchid property that we plan on working on this year. Orchid has a number of high-grade occurrences in it, quite underexplored overall. There's a lot of areas now that we know already are good drill targets, and we're going to refine those targets this summer and be in a position where we can drill them ourselves should we choose to down the road. Tim, it's great catching up with you. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Ellis. You too. Talk to you later. I've been speaking with Tim Termonday, the president and CEO of Tega Gold Corp trading as TGC on the Canadian Securities Exchange and TGGDF 
on the OTC in the U.S. Find the company on the web at tagagold.com. That's T-A-I-G-A gold.com. I'm Ellis Martin. You may assume that Ellis Martin is a shareholder on any of the companies that sponsor the Ellis Martin Report, which means he has a vested interest potentially in them. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the president and chief executive officer of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the U.S. Sky Harbor Resources is a preeminent uranium and thorium exploration company with projects located in the prolific Athabasca Basin of Saskatchewan, Canada, which was ranked as the best mining jurisdiction to work in globally by the Fraser Institute in 2017. The company has been acquiring top-tier exploration projects at attractive valuations culminating in five uranium properties totaling approximately 200,000 hectares throughout the basin. In July 2016, Sky Harbor secured an option from Denison Mines to acquire a 100% interest in the Moore Uranium Project, now the flagship project, which hosts the high-grade Maverick Zone. The company is run by a strong management and geological team who are major shareholders with extensive capital markets experience as well as focused uranium exploration expertise in the basin. Jordan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me again. It's happening. Your Preston property is being explored by major uranium producer Orano Canada. And this is really good news for the company, isn't it? Yeah, so strategic partner of ours, Orano, headquartered in France. It's France's largest uranium mining company. We consummated a deal with them a few years back whereby they can earn up to 70% of our Preston project. This is over on the west side of the Athabasca Basin, proximal to NextGen and Fission. And in order to earn that 70%, they have to spend up to $8 million, most of which is in exploration expenditures and some cash payments as well. So they've just announced a large geophysical program consisting of DC resistivity. So this is a type of geophysics that goes into existing EM conductors, the main target for uranium deposits and mineralization in the Athabasca Basin and really refines the specific targets on those EM conductors and conductive corridors. So this will delineate drill targets for future drilling on the project. The budget for this program is about 735000 so a healthy program. And like I said, we will see future drilling on these targets. So it's an important program and we're looking forward to news flow from it and the results from the program. Right beside this project, we have our East Preston property, which is being drilled and explored right now by our other partner company, Azincourt. Again, a similar earn-in option that they have to acquire up to 70% of that project. They are carrying out a 2,500-meter drill program currently, so we will get news flow and results from that. Again, additional catalyst for Sky Harbor, so keep an eye out for news on that project as well. And then over on the east side of the Athabasca Basin, where the bulk of our projects are We're currently drilling 2,500 meters at our high-grade flagship Moore project, and we've spoken about this program before, a very important drill program for us. We spent better part of late last year refining basement-hosted 
to drill targets. So the same geological setting that most of the recent high-grade uranium discoveries have been made in the Athabasca Basin. We've done a fair bit of drilling previously in the sandstone and down to the unconformity, but relatively untested in the underlying basement rocks. And that's where you get the main feeder zones for the high-grade mineralization that we know is there in the sandstone and at the unconformity. So confident that we're going to find more uranium at depth in the basement rocks, 2,500 meters in seven to nine drill holes. We just started it a few weeks ago. So look out for updates from the field and news flow on that as well. So in total, you have three programs underway, two drill programs, 5,000 meters of drilling. Again, this will generate quite a bit of news for the company. And the bulk of the funding for these programs is coming from partner companies. You've got partner companies doing most of the legwork for you and investing. As a potential investor, what is the end game if you're looking at Sky Harbor for the first time? Are you a potential takeout candidate? Are you a project generator? Clear the air a little bit and give us some direction. Yeah, well, in the near term, look out for additional high-grade discoveries and positive drill results. That's really the key value driver for us as a high-grade exploration company in the Athabasca Basin. And we have multiple irons in the fire, as I mentioned earlier earlier. We do act as a prospect generator as well. We have six projects throughout the Athabasca Basin. We're funding the drilling and exploration at our flagship project, the Moore Project, but we do have partner companies, Arano and Azincourt, funding exploration at our Preston and East Preston. We are looking to option out, joint venture out other projects we have in the basin, including our Falcon Point Project and our Yurchison Project, which we've just added to. We've acquired additional claims along Strike, a project called Janus Lake, which Rio Tinto has a $30 million earn-in option on. So we have this dual-pronged strategy. One, first and foremost, we are a high-grade discovery story. Uh, We're looking to find more and add to the existing high-grade mineralization at our Maverick Zone at Moore. And then we have partner companies that come in and help fund and advance the other projects. But ultimately, yes, what we are looking to do is to build the company up, delineate resources, and then ultimately look to be acquired by a larger company. I will note just last week, we had some news out. We brought on a gentleman by the name of Joe Gallucci. He's come on as a director of the company. He's the head of mining investment banking at Laurentian Bank in Montreal, previously with BMO, GMP, Dundee, and 8 Capital. He's raised a lot of money for mining companies globally. He's worked with several uranium companies, and he ultimately will be important for us in that end goal of being acquired. With oil prices virtually crashing right now, I think in the U.S., many places have gasoline for under $2, and that's under 50 cents a liter in Canada, maybe even 30 cents a liter in your country. Does that factor into energy prices at all? Does it factor into uranium, or are we talking apples and oranges? Yeah, I mean, look, uranium is a unique market, and the nuclear industry, which, you know, as we know, is is really still a growth industry in the developing world. Here in the Western world, we do have some new advanced nuclear technologies and new types of nuclear reactors, SMR, small modular reactors, that I believe will be the next wave of reactors coming on in the developed world and will will help grow demand for uranium going forward. But uranium demand, which is almost entirely based off of nuclear reactor requirements, is relatively sticky in that these nuclear reactors, they're big projects, they get built, and they're not easy to turn on and off. So even with everything that's going on right now, I see the demand side being relatively sticky. It's continuing to grow, especially in places like China and India and other parts of the developing world. And as we've spoken about in the past, 
past. The recent climate change protests and concerns, I think, will just add fuel to the fire, will improve sentiment for nuclear. It is still the only source of baseload, clean, affordable, reliable electricity. And that's what we need if we want to combat climate change, if we want to clean up air quality globally. And we do see globally right now, there's about 400 and 40 reactors operable. There's another 54 reactors under construction and over 400 reactors ordered, planned, and proposed. So we are seeing a significant number of new reactors coming online. And a lot of these are larger reactors, Gen 3 reactors that require more uranium on an annual basis. When you look at the supply demand of this commodity, it's quite compelling for a higher price ultimately. So in 2016, on the supply side, you had about 163 million pounds of primary mine supply. Well, that's fallen to about 142 million pounds expected here in 2020. And that's in the backdrop of global demand of about 183 million pounds. So we've seen a major supply side response play out over the last several years in response to a low price environment at $25 a pound, the current spot price. There's very little production globally that makes any money. We've seen some of the largest mines shut down. We've seen project deferrals. And we are now going to start to see additional mines and production go offline simply because they're running out of reserves. Uh, So this supply side response will be supportive of prices going forward. Uh, But in the near term, we also have a couple of other potential drivers for a higher uranium price, one of which being Cameco having to buy or acquire upwards of 22 million pounds to deliver into their contracts. Because they've shut down production, they've shut down the largest uranium mine in the world, MacArthur River, they still have contracts that they have to deliver into and they don't have the production to do that. So they're having to buy this material in the spot market. And they said of the 22 million pounds, a good chunk of that will be purchased in the spot market. Well, that there alone is a, a significant amount of material, especially in a market that's tightened up quite a bit. So look for prices to move on the back of Cameco buying in the spot market. We also just saw at the BMO conference recently, Kazakhstan state that they're not going to be selling into the spot market. That's been an overhang in the market for the last little while here. So we'll see what happens there. And then last but not least, we have seen the intermediate products in the fuel cycle. We've seen the convert increase. We've seen the conversion and the enrichment prices increase. That's notable. That can be a leading indicator for a higher uranium price as well. So good reason to believe that we're going to see higher prices. And like I said, for the demand side's relatively sticky. Usually uh, this market is relatively uncorrelated with the broader market. So it could be a place for investors to look in this time of market volatility going forward. Jordan, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks a lot for joining me today in the program. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Jordan Trimble, president and CEO of Sky Harbor Resources, trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the U.S., For the Ellis Martin Report and Sky Harbor Resources, I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Tim Termunde, the president and CEO of Eagle Plains Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as EPL, and in the U.S. on the OTC as EGPLF. The company conducts research, acquires, and explores mineral projects throughout Western Canada. It favors the prospect generator business model. 
Eagle Plains is committed to steadily enhancing shareholder value by advancing the diverse portfolio of projects toward discovery through collaborative partnerships and development of a highly experienced technical team. Tim, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ellis. Good to talk to you again. Tim, let's talk about the upcoming diamond drilling program on your Vulcan Silver Lead Zinc project in southeastern BC. Sure. It's a very interesting story, Ellis. I've actually been involved with this story for 28 years now. I worked on the Vulcan property back in 1991 when I was a junior geologist. It was being drilled at the time by uh, Ascot Resources. It was owned by Cominco. It had been owned by Cominco for years since the 70s. And Ascot was doing a drill program. And I sort of became fascinated by the project then, did the work with Ascot and Cominco. And 10 years after that drill program, the claims lapsed. And it was always in the back of my mind that it was an interesting project. So Eagle Plains staked the property once it was, was available for staking. And since then, I've been slowly but surely, we've been watching claims in the area. And as they lapsed by other operators, we picked them up. So we've now assembled a land package that is about 20 kilometers long by about five to eight kilometers wide. Continuous land package that covers spective stratigraphy that is the same time horizon as the Sullivan deposit. I think I mentioned earlier, the Sullivan deposit is a mammoth deposit. For years and years, it was the largest mine in the British Commonwealth. For 60 years, it was the largest mine in the world. The value right now, the in-ground value of the Sullivan deposit is about $40 billion which makes it by far the biggest mine in British Columbia. And it's a very, very compelling target. It's the kind of target that you you swing for the fences. The easy stuff has been explored for. The near-surface exploration has has been done over the years here. So people are forced to go deeper and deeper now to test these things. This this program we're going to do launching June 1st will be targeted at about four to 600 meters depth is the target horizon. And we've put together over the years, there's been work in that area, but very little drilling. There's been a few geophysical physical programs. The light bulbs came on last year when we did a small geophysical program right along a road. It's a magnetotelluric and an induced polarization geophysical survey. And it picked up a very, very strong conductor at 400 meters depth. And it turns out that that conductor is located right about at the same time horizon as a Sullivan deposit. Looking deeper, the magnetotelluric actually looks down over a kilometer. Looking deeper, there's even a larger conductive body interpreted to be lying about a thousand meters down. So we're testing the first shallower conductor to see what that is. And if it's encouraging, we may just take a shot at the deeper hole too. Those deep holes are expensive, but again, this target isn't like no other targets in British Columbia. The risk reward is totally different for the Sullivan type target. Let's say that we're about two or three years away from implementation of a big infrastructure project for North America, bringing manufacturing back to this continent. Doing this kind of work now with base metals and so forth is really the smart thing to do, and that's what you're doing. It's easy to jump on the gold bandwagon right now, and actually we have a few gold projects too, but this FedEx target, this base metal target, is in a category of its own. There is actually, for precious metal lovers, the Sullivan deposit also hosted 300 million ounces of silver. So it's also a silver deposit on top of a lead and zinc deposit, not to mention a bunch of other byproduct minerals that came out of the Sullivan. So yeah, over the years, program after program after program kept pointing to the same area. But again, remarkably, there had been no drilling done in this particular area. So again, I think that was a function of fractured ownership in the past, maybe not having the whole story put together and certainly not having the geophysical information that we generated last year that really put the spotlight on this. It turns out that that the drill target is right on an existing road. 
So for us, it's a fairly cheap program to run. We're budgeting roughly $200,000 for this hole. If that works out, the payoff for that will be substantially higher than the cost of the risk. Um, we really want to see what's down there. We're also, at the end of this drill program, we're going to do a downhole geophysical program. We're going to set a probe down in the bottom of the hole and survey either side of the hole. So this one hole sort of gives us access to a quite a wide area at depth to test the stratigraphy. So I'm very excited about it. It's basically almost 30 years in the making for me. It took 28 years to put the land package together and we finally got it together. We finally got enough data to take a shot ourselves. It's kind of unusual for Eagle Plains to do our own drilling. We don't do it very often, but when we see a risk reward equation that looks like this, that is just too compelling to not take a shot at, that's what we're going to do. Now, Tim, let's review the share structure of Eagle Plains. Yeah, Eagle Plains has 93 million shares out right now. It's in very strong hands overall. I mean, we're an old company. We've been around for 25 years as a public company. Never rolled back, which we're very proud of. So we know where a lot of the shares are. My family is the biggest shareholder in Eagle Plains. We're substantial shareholders. We've always participated in every financing we've done. So my heart and skin is in this company. And yeah, I'm very confident and very proud of the company, how we worked over the years. We have a very strong treasury right now and a very solid core of people that are devoted to the company. And I think with a combination like that, it just adds a lot of value. If you look at our website, we've got a chart in there. Over the years, we've done a few spin-outs from Eagle Plains. We've spun out Copper Canyon, Amanika, Athabasca Nuclear. If you take the value of those spin-out companies and add them to the value of an existing Eagle Plains share right now, which is trading at 13 or 14 cents, that the combined value of all our stocks, which are essentially dividends, the combined value is well over a dollar, probably closer to a dollar twenty. Eagle Plains is an investment as far as I'm concerned. It's a longer term play. We generally don't swing for the fences on our own projects. We bring partners in, but again, the Vulcan is an exception to that rule. And the reason we're breaking our own rules is because we're excited about the project. You spun something out that Rock Ridge Resources is in possession of, didn't you? Yeah, it wasn't a spin-out. It was an option of the Knife Lake project. That was one of our projects in British Columbia. So we optioned that to Rockridge Resources early last year, which is more in line with the Eagle Plains model. It's basically spreading risk around. We're now big shareholders of Rockridge. We know that group very well. We're very happy with them and very confident in their abilities as explorers. And so we're happy to see that they're on the project. They did a drill program last year. And I'm not sure what the plans are this year. We're waiting to see. But we've got a few different companies that we're partnered with right now who have come on to our projects and basically are earning in from us by spending money, by taking the risk off of our plate. And what's left behind basically is we end up being big shareholders in the partner companies and equity shareholders in the properties too. So it puts us in a hopefully a win-win position. And that's exactly what happened with Copper Canyon years ago. And that's exactly what's happened with Taiga. I mean, we spun out Taiga two years ago and Taiga immediately optioned its flagship property to SSR Mining. So that's right out of the Eagle Plains playbook. So most Taiga shareholders were originally Eagle Plains shareholders. So Taiga was essentially a dividend to our Eagle Plains shareholders. It's unusual for a company to take their best project and get rid of it, essentially, which is what we do. We take our best project and we spin it out into a separate company, give our shareholders shares of that separate company. So we're essentially taking a hit as Eagle Plains by getting rid of our best property. But our best property goes to our shareholders directly then. And then we start building up our other projects in our portfolio to try and find one that becomes a flagship. If we get success on exploration, we can do it again. And we have done it again. We've done four spinouts over the years, and each one of those has been successful, some much more than others, but all of them are value accretive. Tim, as usual, it's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program, and best of luck. We'll talk to you soon. Likewise, Alice. Thanks very much. Take care.
I've been speaking with Tim Termunday, the president and CEO of Eagle Plains Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as EPL and in the U.S. on the OTC as EGPLF. To learn more about Eagle Plains, go to the company's website, eagleplains.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Would you like to be one of the first to see who we are following? Subscribe to our audio newsletter. It's free. EllisMartinReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gerald Pennington, the executive chairman of Gold Terror Resource Corp, trading under the symbol YGT on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the United States as TRXXF. Gold Terra owns a 100% interest in the Yellowknife City Gold Project, encompassing 790 square kilometers of contiguous land within 12 kilometers of the city of Yellowknife. The project is located in the prolific Yellowknife Greenstone Belt, covering 70 kilometers of strike length along the main mineralized break in proximity to the former high-grade Khan and Giant gold mines, which have produced over 14 million ounces of gold. The Yellowknife City Gold Project is close to vital infrastructure, including all-season roads, air transportation, service providers, hydroelectric power, and skilled tradespeople. Gerald, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on the air today. Thank you, Ellis. It's a pleasure. What have you been doing since we last met face-to-face in January in Vancouver? I think we've been busy. I think we've completed a program of drilling, almost 11,000 meters in total of which 9,700 meters was done on the Samoto target, which is the open pit, okay grade, like one and a half gram grade, which was already published in our resource. We have approximately half a million ounces in the Samoto area. So the program basically was better to be done in the winter, which we accomplished despite the COVID, was very rewarding. We demonstrate normalization below the pit, along strike, and to the south into our new zone. So a very successful program done during difficult time, but at least we were able to do so. And you've really shown consistency throughout Sam Otto, haven't you? We have. We have shown that the south zone consists of two zones that are about 10 meters each. Grade is varying between one gram to one and a half grams, sometimes two grams. We got some good hits on the south part. And we drilled the south part on 50 meters spacing, so that's quite tight. It's good for indicated resources when you look at it from a point of view of 43101. The main zone was even more surprising because the three holes we announced basically are right below the pit, about 100 meters below the pit. They extend the mosaic below the pit, and they have quite good intersection, 50 meters long intersection at 1.3, 1.2 grams. So very, very good. Very good. Now, I was hoping to get up to Yellowknife this year with you to look at the project, and I've never been to that part of Canada. Not everybody knows what it's like in the Northwest Territories, but there's a a great deal of infrastructure in Yellowknife. And this, when it finally comes into production at some point in the future, should be very, very economic to produce gold. Well, I invite people that are listening to your radio show to visit our website, the Gold Terra Resource website. And the main reason is that we are live with the verified 3D technology, which basically show where our gold mobilization, our focus has been for 2020 drilling, and also what we intend to do in the future on the south part and the area where we think that we're going to be able to get a lot of very good property and future exploration target, mainly in the south. But I think what's important, it shows you on the verify what the Yellowknife town looks like. Not a small town. It's got an airport. There's 20,000 people living there. There's seven hotels. It's got great infrastructure for the north. I think it is one of the best 
infrastructure you can find for mining in the north. It's as good as Timmins, as good as Valdor, as good as Red Lake. It's a great place to work. Why do you think that area has been underexploited during the last 20 years, Gerald? Very simple. No one has ever looked at it the way I've been taught through my 35 years of experience, the way Barrick Gold will look at it, for example, with unlimited budget. You have to remember the camp shut down roughly in around the 2001 to 2005 period when gold price was below 250 and was starting to hedge back up. Remember, I still remember Detour Gold. I started Detour Gold summer 06 and gold was 450. Six months later, by the time I did the IPO in 07, Gold was 650. The biggest parallel of Vitor and Golterra is the timing of purchasing an asset in depressed gold price when nobody is looking at it and everybody has given up. I want to talk more about the management team, which you are basically in charge. Are you the chairman of the company? You've done this before. For those that are just listening to the Golterra story for the first time, you have done this before, and that's why. You basically have honed in on this gold terror project because, on the SAM model, because you believe you can do it again. You came out of retirement, I think, three times, and this is it. This may be your biggest find yet. We don't know yet, but it could be. In my mind, I think, first of all, I'm a geologist of background, but I would call myself a lucky geologist as well. I think I can fare very well in terms of my technical expertise because I've already put three gold mines in production, you know, and the last one was my biggest achievement, the Detour Gold story, which I purchased for $75 million, which was sold for $4.9 billion about three months ago. We're entering into a new gold period. People are printing money. Gold price eventually will go back up even more. Maybe there's a bit of a reset this week because the Dow Jones is up. Gold price is flat. So, but it doesn't stop the value of gold going up in the future. And why is Yellow Knife such a reason to come out of retirement? It's the excitement of being able, like myself, if I go in and get involved in a project, it is not to make money myself. Everybody's going to make money. I'm going to show you, I don't even have stock option in the company, but I bought share. I'm now sitting on 4.4 million shares. And I can tell you, this could be as good and maybe better than Detroit Lake because we only not just have a low grade, but we also have high grade mobilization to tap in. Whatever it's Crestorum, the extension of the con share on our South Delta, the Campbell Shear, which produced 13 million ounces over five kilometers, while we control 65 kilometers of the belt. We're currently working on finalizing our completion of the Campbell Shear through the CAN, which has never been done and properly demonstrated, I think, to the market. And once it's ready, we hope that we'll be farther ready to be able to say something by the end of June, maybe. But I can tell you, this is exciting time because this completion will give us many targets of high-grade mobilization in the order of 10 gram over 10 meters and a lot of potential that has been completely untested. So very importantly, it's almost there, and that's why the table is better than the Detour Lake story. Detour Lake was solely a low-grade deposit. Yellowknife is a low-grade and high-grade deposit with our main focus being high-grade, and that's why we're so excited. So I have to ask you, Gerald, when will you see how much more high-grade you have, because I, I know that investors are always looking for that, and you've got amazing low-grade results and earlier high-grade results, but what's coming in the next year or two? Take us through it. Very simple. We're in the process of preparing the next drill program, which we intend to start sometime in August. 
So sometime in Q3 2020, we should get the drill that back into Yellowknife. Mining is essential in Yellowknife. Uh, once we have the drills and the people working there, we can work as long as we want. They're not going to shut us down because there's a town. We don't have a camp. We don't have a cafeteria. We don't have places where too many people are at the same place. So we're very fortunate for that reason. High grade targets are being prepared. Crestorum, we're planning about 5,000 meters. We believe that we can tap into Crestorum, our high grade deposit. If people want to look at it on our latest presentation, you can see that the deposit has about a quarter million ounces down to about 250 meters vertical. Nothing has been done below. There's no reason for the deposit to stop there. We know it can go on and on until 1,000, 1,200, 1,400 meters. Just a question of drilling it. And that's what has been missing. We drilled Samoto this winter because it was drill access ready for the winter being on the ice. Now we're ready to attack Crestron, and we look forward to go back and drill Crestron, which will be our next target. On top of that, we're preparing the Campbell shear target as well. Let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. From a macro perspective, you know the majors, you've worked with the majors, you've been in the business a long time. What are the drivers for the current and future gold market? Well, I think... Every time you find gold in the U.S. or in Canada, we love it more. From a perspective of eliminating the political risk of working elsewhere. I love to see discovery around the world. I'm more than happy that people make discovery. But having worked for 12 years for Barrick and traveling the world for many, many years, there is a political risk wherever you go. It could be very different. It could be you could lose your deposit. You could have people on strike. You can have all kinds of different unrest. Working in Canada, maybe the environmental procedures are a bit slower, but at least it's safer to invest your money in Canada or in Nevada, for example, because those are two areas. For example, I work in California and Nevada. Which one would I prefer? I would prefer Nevada than California. So if you find a new deposit in California, it would be very difficult to put in production. It doesn't mean it cannot be done. But, but it would be a challenge because California is a little bit more difficult. I worked there for almost two years, and I know exactly the challenge of working in California. So for me, to be in, in Canada is that I eliminate the political risk. As an investor, I don't have to worry about that investment. I know I can find gold. I know we can maybe get to a certain threshold, whatever it's 5 or 10 million ounces. But I know the potential is there to get there safely with no issue. Do we have both a supply and demand issue right now? What's going on with the majors? I know there's a lot more interest in gold. It's hard to get bullion now compared to what it was, let's say, a year ago. Those two things happening at the same time, but with the crunch on supply and a big demand and the majors factoring into this, what are those dynamics? What do they look like? I am not an expert and a financial expert in the gold market. If I was to own gold, I would do it in two ways, and it's the way I do it. I would own my own physical gold, which I do. And that's what I prefer that it's the best way because some of the paper gold that you purchase when they say you purchase gold are not necessarily holding gold. Some of the richest people on earth buy gold. They buy physical gold and they store it in private places, private bunkers actually in Switzerland. Uh, I know the people who run it. Gold is gold. Gold has a great potential in the future because it's your best, best edge against currency whatever currency you are. You can either have U.S. dollar or gold. If you have a lot of your currency, it's better to have gold. Now, if you want to tap into more return than gold, instead of doubling your money and you want to triple or quadruple, you invest in a company that can go from half a million ounces to two million ounces or five million ounces. Think about 
the number of times you can make money. If, if I go from half a million ounces or three quarter where we are now, and think about if I get to two million ounces, say within the next year or two. Look at the resource that I prove up at Detour over the years between 2007 and all the way to the end. We went from one and a half million ounces of resource to 16 million ounces in reserve in the span of less than five years. That's how you create a lot of value. And that's why I believe there's not that many stories in the world. There are some very good stories. We're not the only one. We're not claiming we're the best one. Well, we're certainly one of the best ones to come up in the near future. Well, Gerald, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, whether it's in person or on the phone like this. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Alice. Look forward as well. I've been speaking with Gerald Penitent, the executive chairman of Gold Terror Resource Corp, trading under the symbol YGT on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the United States as TRXXF. Visit the company's website, goldterracorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form. Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Visit ellismartinreport.com.